Welcome to the Compass Podcast, featuring Chris Shandro and the Compass team. We hope this message is just for you. Well, hey, welcome back. I'm Chris. I'm a pastor at Compass. As always, thank you so much for joining me. So if you pay close attention, there's this phenomenon in nature that, for me personally, I think is really fascinating and mysterious. It's the way in which certain shapes and patterns are repeated over and over again in different ways. So think about... uh, tree branches and roots, right? Think of how similar tree branches and root systems are to human lungs. It's a system of things branching out, like lightning, or even like certain water systems. Trees, lightning, lungs, water, these are radically different things, and yet we see shapes and patterns repeated in all of them. Look at spirals. We see spirals in seashells. We see them in the tails of chameleons. Uh, We find spirals in plants. We see them in the structure of pine cones. And the pattern, it scales from small to huge, covers the gamut, right? I mean, look at how the water flying off of a spinning tennis ball spirals off into the air. Now, look at the same energy and shape expressed in a massive hurricane pictured from space. We see spirals in action every time we flush a toilet. And we all actually live in a spiral because the Milky Way galaxy that our planet is part of is actually something called a spiral galaxy. And and most of the galaxies in the universe have this same spiral shape. It blows my mind that the same forces at work in thousands of galaxies across millions of light years in our universe, that those forces are also expressed in the water that's going down my toilet. That the shape of something as small as a snail shell is repeated in the cosmic power of just an unimaginably large galaxy that's so far away from us in space that we could never reach it in a lifetime. Sometimes when we look at the shape of something small, it allows us to better understand huge and cosmic things that share that same shape. And when it comes to the cosmic, There's nothing greater than God and his purposes in our universe. If you're a Christian and you're familiar with Christianity, you know that at the center of God's big cosmic story is the death and resurrection of Jesus. That by taking on death and being raised to life, Jesus defeated the power of death and sin, and he made a way for us to enter into this new kingdom, this new act of creation that God is doing by bringing heaven and earth together. This is the ultimate restoration and recreation of everything in the universe, including us, as we also are resurrected into new and eternal bodies. So that's big, right? Cosmic. And if that big cosmic eternal God story is kind of hard to get your mind around, you aren't alone, which is why today we are going to take a look at another resurrection story, a much smaller one, but it's a story that like a spiral, it carries the same shape as God's big story of being raised to new life. And my hope today is that by looking at the small pattern, we can better understand God in the big pattern. And so we're going to begin in Matthew chapter 9, verse 18 through 19. It says, As Jesus was saying this, the leader of a synagogue came and knelt before him. My daughter has just died, he said, but you can bring her back to life again if you just come and lay your hand on her. So Jesus and his disciples got up and went with him. So the story continues from there. 
says that when Jesus arrived at the official's home, he saw the noisy crowd and he heard the funeral music. Get out, he told them. The girl isn't dead, she's only asleep. But the crowd laughed at him. And after the crowd was put outside, however, Jesus went in and took the girl by the hand and she stood up. The report of this miracle swept through the entire countryside. And it makes sense. Jesus raised a girl from the dead. I mean, we're in a message series right now talking about Jesus's miracles. It's called miracles. And so someone being raised from the dead definitely fits that bill. <coughs> but as remarkable as this event is, this resurrection event, it has always raised a question for me. And it's, what's the point? And maybe that's a strong way to put it, but here's the thing. Even though Jesus raised this girl from the dead, she still eventually died again. And as amazing as the story of her coming back to life is, I mean, she didn't live forever. She still eventually died. Maybe it was 30 years later. Maybe it was three years later. And it's not just her. I mean, every person that Jesus ever healed still eventually died. Whether they had a few extra years or whether they had a better quality of life, everyone died. So what is there that we can learn beyond the miracle? What can we take away from this to better understand the bigger and cosmic pattern of what God is doing? And to find that out, I want to take a look at an account of this story that's actually in the Gospel of Mark, because he includes a lot more detail. And we're going to look at Mark chapter 5, verse 21. It says, Jesus got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake, where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. Jesus went with him and all of the people followed, crowding around him. So the first thing you may notice is that there's a discrepancy between Matthew and Mark. Matthew said the girl was dead. And Mark said she wasn't dead, but dying. Now, you could look at this as an example of an error in the Bible or as a reason why the Bible can't be trusted. But the reality is, is that this is just an example of editorial priority. Matthew, he just wanted to get to his point quickly that Jesus raised a girl from the dead. And so that's where he started from. So to, to give you an example of how this works in the real world, several years ago, Terry and I went to a conference that was in Anaheim, California. And because we were already there, we already had the plane tickets and everything, we just stayed an extra day and we went to Disneyland. Now, if you asked us, when was the last time that you were on a plane? I might say something like, well, uh, last time we were on a plane was when we were at a conference in California. But Terry might answer that. She'd say, well, the last time we were on a plane was when we went to Disneyland. On the surface, it may look like one of us isn't telling the truth, that our stories don't line up, but we are. We're just communicating what we thought was most relevant. Now, that's not to digress, uh, but I did want to address that quickly. So now that that's out of the way, let's continue on with the story. This is also the point in the story uh, where a sick woman came to Jesus for healing, which we talked about last week. And I would just encourage you to check that out online or on our podcast. But on their way to help a dying girl, Jesus' disciples, they're interrupted by someone else who needed help. And that delayed them. Now, our story continues after that delay. And this is where it picks up in Mark chapter 5, verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking to her, the woman who he had healed, 
Messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, and they told him, your daughter's dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. But Jesus overheard them and he said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith. I mean, for Jairus, the worst has happened. He was too late. I mean, maybe he didn't go to Jesus in time. Maybe the delay of helping this other woman and healing her, maybe that's what did it. But either way, a messenger came out to them on the road and he said, your daughter's died, it's over. But hearing this, Jesus pulls Jairus aside and he encourages him not to be afraid. And he says, just have faith. Let's continue in verse 37. Then Jesus stopped the crowd and he wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing, which, right, you would expect. A little girl has died. So after hearing the news on the road that, that she's dead, Jesus, he ditches the crowd that's been packed around him following him. And Jesus and three of his disciples continue with Jairus to Jairus' home. And I imagine that was a pretty heavy and a quiet walk, at least until they arrive to find a crowd of people who were weeping and wailing loudly. This was actually a Jewish custom. See, whenever someone died, there were professional mourners who would come out and they would grieve with the family. They would play instruments, play music, and they would chant funeral dirges. And this, this morning, it was considered both a kindness to the family and it was kind of a sign of honor because having the ability to hire professional mourners, having lots of people attend a funeral, and, and even having the financial status to pay people to attend a funeral, it spoke highly of a family and their place in society. But even like rabbinical rules, they allowed for even the poorest people to have a minimum of two flute players who would be provided along with one woman who would mourn with them. This was a kindness to have people who would come and mourn with a grieving family. Story continues in verse 39. Jesus went inside and he asked, why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead, she's only asleep. And the crowd laughed at him. But he made them all leave and he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. So I want you to imagine this for a moment. This is a crowd of professional mourners. These are people who do funerals for a living. They know when someone is dead. And then Jesus shows up and he says, oh no, no, she's just sleeping. Is he kidding? Does he not get the seriousness of this moment? But even so, Jesus made the crowd of mourners leave and he took the girl's parents along with his three disciples into the room where her body was. And in verse 41, says that holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And the girl who was 12 years old immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. Like, yeah, right? I mean, and we've, we've talked a lot about lately about what was ceremonially clean and unclean, according to Jewish law, okay? And we've talked a lot about how Jesus didn't pay much attention to those religious rules. But here's another one of those religious uh, cleanness rules you may not have known about, Numbers 19.11. says, all those who touch 
a dead human body will be ceremonially unclean for seven days. So this law, along with many others, I mean, it had practical applications because it helped limit the spread of disease. But here's the thing to know. For the Jewish people, there was no difference between moral and practical laws. The command not to touch a dead body to them was as spiritual and as moral as any other law. And the uncleanness caused by it was to be avoided as much as any other moral impurity. And again, like we've seen over and over again as we've gone through the book of Matthew, Jesus ignores tradition to reach out and touch someone who is unclean, someone who could make him unclean. And then taking her by the hand, he says, little girl, get up. And she does. And unsurprisingly, everyone is amazed at what they've seen. Their daughter was dead, but now after Jesus took her by the hand, she's alive. Verse 43 says this, after that, Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what had happened. And then he told them to give her something to eat. This verse might contain for me what are the most remarkable details of this story. So first, Jesus told them not to tell anyone what had happened, which is strange because if, like, just take me for example, if I wanted as many people as possible to come to Compass and I could raise people from the dead, you can bet I would be posting videos on TikTok of me resurrecting people all day. I'd want everyone to know so that I could increase my following, I could increase our church. But Jesus did the opposite. And then the other remarkable detail that Mark includes is that Jesus told them to give her something to eat. This detail is so small, but it carries with it so much care. Jesus just raised a girl from the dead, but was still concerned enough to make sure that she wasn't hungry. So now that we've gone through this story, I want to try to bring everything home now by looking at the spiral pattern that exists in it. If the story of this little girl's resurrection has the spiral shape and size of water spinning off a tennis ball, then Jesus' story of resurrection has the cosmic shape and size of a spiral galaxy. But in spite of the differences in scale, these stories reflect each other in a way that allows us to better see the big picture by looking at the small picture. And there are two specific things that I want us to see in the spiral. The first is that Jesus touches unclean people to make them clean. The cosmic big picture of the gospel is that Jesus is redeeming broken and dying creation by raising it to new life into a new creation. It's the cosmic story is the story of Jesus bearing the sin and brokenness of this world in his death and being raised to new life again. But in the same way that Jesus took one little girl's hand, touching her ceremonial impurity, Jesus touches the sin and death of all humanity. And with his hand stretched out on the cross, he touches the hand of every single person who's impure, unclean, and dead in their sin. And he whispers into the vastness of all creation, get up. Jesus' and Jesus's death and resurrection may be at the scale of the whole universe, but his touch in the life of every single person is exactly the same as when he took the hand of that one little girl. 
Jesus is not afraid of our uncleanness. His touch redeems it and raises us to new life in him. And the second thing we can learn from the spiral, Jesus' resurrection is a deeply personal act of love. I can't get past that, that last verse and what it means when we scale it up to the cosmic spiral of God's story. Jesus didn't want her parents to tell anyone what had happened, and he wanted to make sure that she wasn't hungry. So why didn't he let them tell the world? Would it not have given him more fame and credibility and, and, and political power for everyone to know what he could do? Of course it would. And anyone in his shoes would want people to know what he did. I mean, I post a picture on social media every time I cook a meal that looks halfway decent. Why wouldn't Jesus want the world to know that he had raised a girl from the dead? Because he didn't do it for the crowd. He did it for her. And he did it for her family. And he did it because he cared for them. And that was enough. And we see that care reflected in his concern that she gets some food. Jesus, who has the power of life and death, cares enough more than just about our eternal status. He cares about whether we've had enough to eat. God's big picture plan is resurrection and new life for us and all of creation. And Jesus opened the door for us into that with his own death and resurrection. But the small spiral shows us that God's big plan is not just a cosmic display of his power, but a deeply personal act of love for the people he cares for. That the galaxy of his love and life are repeated throughout all creation, all the way down into the smallest details of our lives. And our invitation into that cosmic and deeply personal story, it begins with Jesus reaching out his hand to us and saying, don't be afraid, just have faith. And that's Jesus's message for you. No matter the scale of what you are facing in your life, no matter the measure of the death that you are facing in your life and the hurt and the pain and the separation from God, no matter how great you feel your own uncleanness and impurity to be, Jesus is reaching out his hand to take yours. And he's looking you in the face and he's saying, don't be afraid, just have faith. Just put your faith and your trust in me. Put your faith and trust in, in my guidance and my direction. Have faith that I want you to have the best life that you could live. Have faith that I understand, having created and designed you, what is best for you. And have faith and trust that as you take my hand, that I will turn the uncleanness, the impurity, and the death in your life into new life. Say yes to Jesus today, and I will see you next time. Thank you for joining us at Compass. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have any questions about Compass or this message, contact us at our website, www.compassbn.com.